Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Roller coaster prices, supply chain glitches, political unease. They do their best to wreck my business plans. With so many unknowns, how do I know I'm making the right decisions? Aon helps me stay on top of things. They have expert points of view on volatility from around the world, paired with local insight that helps me get back on solid ground. Better decisions. Aon. Hardy's two for $5 breakfast bake goodness into your morning. Choose a biscuit with sausage and egg, biscuit and gravy, or French toast dips. Any two, just $5. Hardy's goodness in the making. These items only. Price and participation may vary. Tax not included. Impact of Influence, the Murdoch family murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. And hello, Seton Tucker. Hello, hello producer Dwayne. I'm Matt Harris, and this is going to be a rip-roaring episode for sure because she is very willing to share her opinion and we love her for it and you have been on court tv with Vinny palatine multiple times i've watched it and she just she's not scared to speak her mind that's right so let's uh get right to it first of all impact of influence on facebook there you go now on to our guest she's big on this uh, the alec murdoch stuff she's big on tiktok Lawyer Lori on TikTok, but Lori Murray is her name. She has uh, been on Court TV a ton of times. I'm sure you've seen her there. She's been on with me at times as well. I'm sure not the highlight of her career, having me in one of the blocks <laughs> or one of the squares. Uh, she's actually a real attorney and knows what's going on. Seeing you just had a good first question. Yeah, I'm just wondering how you became interested in the whole Murdoch thing and, and doing these TikToks. Just give us your background. You know, it's interesting. I don't really remember how I, how it came about. I, I started my TikTok account back in like 2019 before COVID hit to embarrass my child. She was in <laughs> high school and I literally made a video that said, I'm making a video. And she, you know, she was mortified. She came over. She's like, let me help you. I was like, I got this. Like, I don't need your help. And so it was just a thing to embarrass my child. And then one day I made a video. I started out with videos that were, uh, you know, just telling stories, things I see, because honestly, my life ain't boring. So <laughs> that became, oh, well, let me give some legal advice, because a client came in and had been searched on the side of the road. And I said, hey, if you if you come across this situation, let me just tell you. And then I just threw out the advice. And then by, I think I got 15,000 new followers overnight. Oh, wow. So I was like, OK, so they like the legal advice. They like the legal world more than what I have been doing. So I started talking about legal advice. And then this Murdoch case came out and it was a big deal when it first came out. And I don't think Ella had even been arrested yet, but maybe he had. I just remember doing a video about the Murdoch case. I mean, I can tell you where I was when all of the because it's ingrained in my mind. I make this video about the case and I got a 
call, you know, they were like, you better be careful who you talk about. You don't know the connections that they have. And so it was obviously a lot of people who knew stuff about it. I wasn't the first one on the scene, but I just said that I thought it was interesting. And then we started talking about Alec and I got a text message from Ronnie Crosby, who testified at the trial, and I referred cases to Ronnie, and we actually had a case pending at the time, and Ronnie was still friends with Alec Murdoch, so Ronnie said, you know, this is my friend, and it hurts my feelings that you would say these things about him, so I got back onto TikTok, and I said, listen, I got a text message from a friend. These videos are hurtful to him, so I'm taking them down. It's never my intention to hurt anybody, and everybody was like, oh my God, they got to you. They have gotten to you for sure. And was, it wasn't that. It was just that I, I, my, my intention on this account, this platform, whatever, has never been to hurt somebody's feelings, especially not a friend of mine. So I took it down. And then it came out. Uh, the financial crimes came out. And I figured at that point that Ronnie might have a change of heart about me talking about Alec Murdoch. So I went right back into it. But I had followed it the whole time. And so I just started following the case. There was a lot to follow. There were a lot of videos to make because it just kept coming out and people were very curious about it. So the more they asked, the, you know, the more I find the answer. And thankfully did it without ever listening to one of the podcasts, not, well, not yours, but the other ones. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Because we started, I don't know, seven, eight, ten days after the, the murders. Um, we never thought it would last this long either. No. Um, I, yeah. two, two things I want to point out. Ronnie Crosby, former law partner with Alec. And also, I, I forgot to say that Lori is in. South Carolina. So she so, probably gets right. a lot of scoop. You probably get a lot of inside scoop because you are in the legal field. I have heard some scoop. Yes. I mean, when we talk about the juror tampering, I heard during the trial, I had the whispers, you know, I think Dick even said that there were whispers of this during the trial. I heard those whispers. I heard something happen when they took the visit to Moselle. So yeah, I've heard a lot of, of different things. I get a lot of inside scoop. Don't ever reveal my sources on it, but I do hear a lot of inside scoop. And some of the some of it is a lot of gossip, right? I mean, we hear that some of the stuff that's like, okay, let's see if that pans out. It never does, or it's so ridiculous. Like, you know, they weren't actually murdered. They're living in an island somewhere, all that nonsense. <laughs> uh, I've not heard that one, but no? I would, you know, no, I have not. Yeah. Um, but, you know, usually what I have heard, I will say, because it comes generally from the legal community, has panned out. Yeah. Yeah. That, so yeah. You've got, you've got your degree right there in Columbia with all the yeah. the prosecution and the state and Joe McCall and people like that. So yeah, what's your right. biggest thing yeah. that you heard that did not pan out? Oh, gosh. Uh, the paint chip, probably. Okay. You know, they said that there was a paint chip and that that was the new lead that Sled had that, you know, oh. with regard to the Stephen, Stephen Smith, Smith case. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So they said there was a paint chip, that, a blue paint chip. That was the only evidence that was found in the Stephen Smith case and that it there was a blue Bronco or, yeah. I don't know, something so, on the property. And I haven't heard anything more about that. Going into the trial, did, did you think one thing, and did your opinion change as the trial went on, back and forth, back and forth, and then you have a, a different opinion today, or, or was it always the same? It's funny because, uh, you know, in this for the sake of justice, and and my followers were not always very happy with it, but they would ask me who, you know, what my feelings were on the guilt or the innocence, and I would never give it. Uh, I said, yeah, that's not how you get a fair trial. I'm not Nancy Grace. So I'm not going to tell you whether I think that he did it or not. You sit there and listen to the evidence and make your own decisions. That's what we did, yeah. Um, so in in my opinion, when he was going through this, I have and I still have a very difficult time believing that he would gun down his own child and his yep. own wife. 
I thought there were some very troubling aspects of it, but I still have that same belief. And I, it, it did not change. I don't think the state proved their case um, in the way that they wanted to prove it. I think he's guilty of something. But and I think, you know, if he's there and present at the time, he's probably guilty of the murder for hand of one hand of all. But I also just don't I still don't buy that he pulled the trigger. Did you know Alec Murdoch before all of this? I knew of him. I did not know him personally. He actually was in law school two years ahead of me, I think, or a year ahead of me. Well, of course, you're another USC law school person. Is anybody that's involved in this thing not a Gamecock? (laughs) Well, you know that at the time, us older folk, there was no other law school in the state of South Carolina. And we were told, if you want to practice law in the state of South Carolina, you must go to law school at the University of South Carolina. So That's why everybody was there. That's why everybody was there. Yeah, I mean, I told you, I think we, I sent it to Vinny. Uh, we put it up on Court TV one night. The, somebody sent it to me. I didn't keep my little Facebook page. It was an, the book of faces. It's funny. It really was a book of faces <laughs> from our law school class. And Alec Murdoch's picture is in there. And, you know, right beside his name, it says Big Daddy Murdoch. That's how he listed his name. Wait, he cho- wait, wait, wait. He chose he, to he be chose Big Daddy. Big Daddy. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh, good, oh, good Lord. grief. <laughs> I, and I sent it. I, I, I got to, this is when we first filmed in Walterboro and it was at the restaurant. I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but it was at that restaurant. And I walked in and I said, look, Vinny, I brought you a present. And I showed it to him and he goes, oh my gosh, sent that over to the producers. We're putting that up. Yes. And so he put it up on the screen that night. It was really funny. Cause yeah, that's when we were like, doing hey. the live shows, right? From, from, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Exactly. And Creighton Waters, like Creighton and I graduated uh, law school together. He was in my class. Jeez. So, Yep. I think that I've aged much better than Creighton. You look, you look fantastic. <laughs> you you look need to great. go. People need to go. Look I'm, at not, I'm not. I'm not handling cases like Murdoch that'll put ten years on you. Yeah, that's for sure. true. That's true. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think about the possibility that Clerk of Court Becky Hill may have said some things uh, that swayed the jury? And not only what do you think about it, but is that enough? to get a new trial? Well, I think the state was very smart in their request for a more specific time frame from the defense. And the reason I say that is because, and I said this from the very beginning, but nobody was really talking about it. So I kind of shut up, but you know, when you have newly found evidence, it has to be not only, it has to be newly found, like as in you just found it and it was after the verdict, but it also could not have been discovered during the trial. But this Facebook message that Becky brought in or lack of Facebook message that Becky brought in, but the apology that was brought in, all of those had dates on them. So why none of this defense team seemed to hone in or at least check the dates on that is baffling to me, but that is, it's evidence of, of tampering of, of something for sure. Cause I think she made it up, but, uh, it could have been discovered during the trial because they didn't look at the dates. All you had to do was look at the dates and realize that that was, there was something off about that. You mean the defense you're talking about the, like, so judge Newman dismisses egg lady. The defense can request to see why they can request the Facebook message. They can request. Oh, they had an in-camera hearing. They had a, they had a whole hearing. The the defense had a copy of that. That's right. But it it wasn't open, right? It was behind. It was in camera. Yes. Closed doors. So it could be a sticking point. The fact that they knew this during the trial. You're going to need more than just the Facebook post is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, I think that might be problem, problem some 
Is that the word problem? Problematic. I'll take a, yeah, it's a problem for Becky because it does appear that she lied to the court. Now I, you know, again, she deserves a hearing like everybody else, but it does appear that there was never a Facebook post. Uh, and she certainly, if there was, couldn't have seen it when she said she saw it. So that definitely uh, is a problem for her, but that alone, I don't think is going to get him a new trial because that could have been discovered during the trial. So you're gotcha. really relying on the affidavits of the other jurors. Now you've got Eric Bland who represents four of them. Of course, those four are going to say that there was no tampering. They didn't feel biased. I'm with you on this. And I said, I think Cena and I've talked about this. Eric Bland, you know, I get along with Eric, but he's obviously very, very invested in Alec Murdoch's guilt. He's constantly yes. out there talking about it. So yes. the fact that he's representing jurors on who are supposed to be talking to the, the court about whether they were swayed or not seems a bit of a conflict of I interest. I also find that, yeah, I also find that very problematic. Because is I he so Jim, invested? He is invested, absolutely. I mean, he went on an offer to represent him for free so that he could get them in. I mean, that's... That is problematic for me because you go looking for it. You know, Joe was there every day during the trial, and Joe yeah, McCall, um, yeah, yes, Joe sat there on behind the state directly, you know, kind of catty cornered it with that good camera view of his beautiful <laughs> silver locks. Yeah. Uh, but he sat there every day. He listened to the trial, but his his opinion was never swayed. I don't think he was biased in any way, shape, or form. He's a defense attorney, so when he went on to the media. He was definitely given a defense attorney's point of view, but I don't ever think that he, I think he, like me, said, I'm not, I'm not Nancy Grace. I'm not going to tell you what I think. I think I'm just here to, to interpret what happened today, and here's what the law is on that, and make sure that you look at both sides. So I don't have a problem with Joe representing these people, Joe McCullough representing the two jurors, um, and potentially a third, but Eric representing four jurors uh, is problematic for me because we have the whole cup of justice that, you know, if we were really out for justice, then we have these jurors represented by an independent attorney, not even myself, somebody who has nothing to do with this case. If they need representation, which I, you know, they don't need representation, but if they feel like they do, get somebody who has nothing to do with the case. I've and seen then, on social media that people have said, do we only have four attorneys in the state of South Carolina? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think someone yeah. went to Bamberg first, right? And then he sent him to Bland, I guess. But you know what's interesting yeah. too is uh, Joe just told me last night that his clients have not been spoken to by any investigators. Do you think that's weird? Well, I think they're only going to speak to the one that ones that Eric Bland represents. I mean, these investigators are out to prove their case. I think they take it upon themselves to defend the process and they're, you know, trying to defend Becky and defend that, you know, they don't want to find anything in their investigation against them because that means that Elliot Murdoch gets a new trial. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting that they haven't, you know, talked to them. They would have to go through Joe to do that. He's not hard to find. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know why they haven't talked to them. I think that they need to talk to every single one of them. But also, I think we would all like to hear from all of them. Well, and to so, be fair, we should point out that Joe does have a personal relationship with Dick Carpetlian. We yeah. should point that out. Yeah, but, we should point that out. But, it, you know, I don't know that... Joe was, I mean, maybe he was advising him during the trial, but he certainly wasn't, you know, sitting up behind him acting as a, no. an advisor or part of the And case. I'm not suggesting that at all. Not suggesting I, I, yeah, I'm not suggesting. I just felt like we should point yeah. that out. But here's also the you thing. Should. Everybody yeah. in Columbia 
<laughs> all these lawyers know each other. They yeah. all know each other. And Harpooling's been but around. Not, for there are so many more. There are very, there are a whole lot more attorneys. That, you know, but these are just the ones that, when you get involved in this case, there's so much attention around the Murdoch case that once you put your name out there especially representing victims like Gloria Satterfield. I mean, people think that Eric Bland does criminal defense and he had, he has maybe had a couple of cases, but he's not a criminal defense lawyer. He's a legal malpractice lawyer. The funniest thing ever. And I posted it uh, on Twitter this past weekend. I don't know if you saw it, Seton, but there's a picture of Greg Leon who was convicted of murder and Dick Harpootlian on one side of him and Eric Bland on the other side of him. It's the greatest picture of all time. I did, I did see that. Yeah. Eric represented him alongside of Dick, and then they all got conflicted out because of some, you know, questionable tactics on behalf of the defendant. And then Jack Swirling ended up representing him. Oh, so, so Bland and wait, wait, Bland and Harpooleon were working on the together. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think he went to Eric Bland, or he he went to I think Eric Bland first, and then Eric brought Dick in. And when was the, when was this recently them, or a long time ago or what? No, no this is recently. When, I, where have you been recently. living under a rock? <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, 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 the actual case was The trial recent, was right? recent. The trial, yeah, the trial was, was recent. recent. Yeah. But the case was in 2016. That's how long they postponed it and put it off. Yeah, I, I just and that's then, what I meant the case. I wasn't sure where the case was. Okay. I know yeah. that the trial no, was recent. The murder was in like 2016 and sadly within 2 weeks of going to prison Greg Leon committed suicide. Yeah. I, I did see uh, Eric you know uh Morning. Speaking the at it, he, well, yeah, and he spoke. He spoke on behalf of of Greg Leon at his sentencing. He was mm -hmm. there, you know, speaking on behalf of a defendant. A man died in that case. A man that Greg Leon walked around the front, caught his wife cheating with, walked around the front of the car at a parking ride where his wife was having relations in the back seat of a truck. Opened the door and opened fire, and that apparently is okay. But Alec Murdoch, who is accused of such is not okay. So there's a double standard. It's who you represent. This justice cup is, you know, it literally has a hole in the bottom of it. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I want to do this too. Uh, we talk about, let's, let's, uh, you know, I know you watch the Netflix thing and you've been, uh, you mentioned recently on court TV and before that too, but about a drug cartel possible connection. And it's kind of mentioned yeah. in episode three of season two of the Netflix uh, special. Is this something you considered for a long time? Is it something that you have some other knowledge of other than what's public? Uh, what's your thoughts on this? No, and that's the problem. Nobody has any knowledge of it. It's all, you know, it's, I have thought this since, you know, I've said it all along. Well, I didn't give my opinion during the case, but um, I have said that if this was a murder, that I believe that the cartel was involved. And the reason for that is because having done drug cases for 20 years, and especially doing federal cases, which this amount of this of drugs, this amount of dope would have would amount to a federal case. So when you have this amount of dope, it is not for personal use. Somebody's selling it and somebody is clearly not doing a good job of selling it or they wouldn't be stealing money from their firm. So I, I have always said that this is a cartel. People say that, the, you know, the only defense that they have to that is, well, a cartel member wouldn't use their family's gun. The cartel is much neater than that. They come in, they wipe yeah. out, and then they get out. Okay, I get that. But you're on, you know, Walter Burrow and you know, the same area sits right off the 95 drug corridor. Yeah. There are task force that run along 95 because that is a major drug um, corridor. So 
we have that, but we also have cartel. Ha- the cartel can't put, you know, the cartel people in every little podunk town around, you know, off of 95. So they have the cowboys. And the cowboys are the gang that lives and works inside of Walterboro. And those cowboys would be the ones that would pull out or pull off this killing for the cartel. It's not like you're going to get the professional hitman to come in and, and take out his family. You're going to get somebody from the cowboys. So, yeah, if the cartel put out a hit, you know, from Juan Pablo, whatever, from Mexico or Colombia, then, yeah, you might get a professional hit. But this is this is an order, in my opinion, that likely came down from very high that was carried out by someone local who knew the family, who knew the area, um, and had dealt with Alec in the past. Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in. And you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion. It's instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals. You read stories, you participate in dialogues, so you are ready to go. It's the most trusted, time-tested app out there. They've been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Buy Rosetta Stone now, and you never have to pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Okay, let me, uh, okay, let's break that down a little bit. Just to, just to, I don't know, devil's advocate's the right word, but yep. they're going to knock off Alec's wife and kid. Mm-hmm. They're doing it, what, to send a message that you, you stiffed us on however much money, and this is what we do? I think they were out there and saying, where's the money? We've asked you before, where's the money? Where's the money? Have a gun pointed at Paul. Where's the money? Where's the money? Okay. And Alec can't say, you know, won't say, can't say, probably doesn't have it. Um, I don't know where it went. But maybe he did have it. Maybe after he they killed both of you know his family members right in front of him, maybe he gave him the location of the money, and maybe it went away. Well, that is that is, that is true. That there's been questions about 
it doesn't seem like nearly enough money has been recovered from what was stolen. It, and in he the wasn't Fed living court like today. They said ten million instead of nine. So ten million dollars. Yeah, ten million. You are living yeah. pretty damn good in well in uh, you know Hampton County. Uh, yes, you uh, are, especially without having anything in his. I mean, he had money in his retirement account, but you know the salary that he was making off of that law firm alone. Right. You would be living well, well off that salary, not having to steal money to put you know to put up with that lifestyle. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that that's going to be one of the in, the more interesting parts about the polygraph portion of his federal plea, whether they will make him take the polygraph uh, or whether he's come clean to them and will be put into protective custody. You never know. You never know. And one thing on the Netflix special in episode three, when they kind of bring it up with Cousinetti and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. I think it was, was somebody on the episode said that the defense tried to bring that up, but I don't remember the defense ever running with a drug cartel killed him thing during the trial. Do you guys? No, I don't remember. Them. I think it was, I think there was an implication of it when they said something about the two different types of ammo and the two different shooters. When they start talking about that, there was more than one shooter there. I think that was their attempt to bring okay, it up. Yeah. It just was but it wasn't very, straight up. Very poor job. They weren't no. straight up bringing anything up because uh, the, I don't think he would let them. I mean, I really yeah. do. Elliot ran that defense. Absolutely ran that defense from behind the the scenes. Now I don't know that they they did a great job carrying out Elliot's wishes. I, I, you know, if somebody's feeding you what to do, you're still going to do it to the best of your ability. And mm-hmm. I just. You and I both talked about that the lawyering in this case was very lackluster until the very end. And even Jim Griffin's closing was not great. So what was really great was the John Metters closing. So, um, and that's what I think took it home. I I would like to think for, for everybody, but yeah, I think it was there. I just think it wasn't mentioned. I do think that this polygraph requirement, and and I talked about this this morning the polygraph provision in a plea agreement is not unheard of. So, I mean, I, I looked up some of my plea agreements to see if they had polygraph provisions in it because I've seen it before. And the what the, I didn't, I could only find one plea agreement because I closed my files out, but I could only find one. It didn't have it in there. But it is a standard provision that is put into these polygraphs, especially when you have somebody like Alec Murdoch. But, I mean, whether they actually make him do it is they have to, they're going to require, not require, but they're going to look for something that they don't believe he's telling everything he knows on. Because remember, a polygraph is like five questions. It's not, they're not sit down and polygraph somebody for three hours. It's like five questions and then you're being deceptive on this particular issue. I want to point out real quick that um, what she's referring to is an Alex federal plea agreement when he pled guilty to the money stuff Part of that was that he agreed to take a, a polygraph. Now, can they ask him only about the 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 money crimes? They can ask him anything they want. No. When you sign a proffer with the federal government, what, what it does two things: uh, it protects you from prosecution from anything that they don't know about, and it also gives you credit for cooperating. But the biggest part of that is that it protects you from anything that you have not been prosecuted for. So he has to tell them everything he's got. to. I mean, part of it is you've got to spill it all. So he might tell them about stuff they don't know about, but they can't prosecute him for it. But if he lies to them in any way, shape or form, if they catch him lying on a polygraph, then that whole agreement's null and void. They'll come after him for everything that he's told him. 
Which is weird because the polygraph is not admissible in court, yet the court is saying you need it's to valid. take a lie detector. Yeah, it's the government saying yeah, that, that government, you know, yeah. the, it's the government's provision. The court will not sanction it and will gotcha. not you know, okay. put it, okay. allow it in. But it's still one of the tools that they use to tell if you're telling the truth. Sure. I want to get back to the Netflix special. Did anyone notice that Blanca seemed very uncomfortable? She, she refused to answer. Blanca, who is the, the housekeeper mm-hmm. for the Murdoch family, she refused to answer the question if she thought there was any sort of help yeah the night of the murders and she was visibly uncomfortable and refused to answer the questions and she also had knowledge about Alec Murdoch's drug use mm-hmm. she said she you know it was they didn't talk about it but she saw bags of pills and they would fall out of his pocket pockets or and at stuff times. yes so I don't think she did him any favors in that Netflix special did you well i think that my impression was, though, that I took away that she doesn't think that he did it at least alone. That made me question this cartel theory. Her appearance in this Netflix special made me think uh-huh. about the drug connection and the cartel connection more than anything else. Interesting. That might have been part that I was asleep through because I don't remember <laughs> that particular part. But I got I, I felt like she was very harsh on him and that family. Um, she said things that would have hurt him in trial had she said them in that special that she did not say in trial. Her story became a little bit more embellished in that mm-hmm. uh, documentary, in my opinion. Yeah, a few things. I mean, during the documentary, she she said things like the night of the murders, you know, that she had prepared this meal for the family, and typically Maggie would have called and, yeah. you know, told her she that. She talked the- about him being jittery. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Uh, you know, none of that was brought up during the trial, so I just it felt a little bit like she was embellishing a little bit for the Netflix cameras. She seemed genuine, though, to me. She did. I mean, I, she genuinely seemed fearful when she was talking, when she was giving that question about whether someone else was there the night of the murders. Whereas, as you know, Seton, I have to go back and look that one. Yeah, but Seton and, and both of us and, and Lori, sometimes you sit in front of those cameras. She could have been there for three hours and edited it down to this. Why you got to discredit with the discrediting? <laughs> <laughs> no. The best part of this uh, interview or this whole Netflix special, the only thing I think that she might have done well, and I didn't even see it, and you over there discrediting it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Not you, Seton, Matt. Yeah, that's me. That's oh, me. Okay, that's, sorry. That's, I was yeah, confused. I, I'm a mess. You know, I ruin all the fun. Um Let's see, was there anything else that we wanted to mention about, let me see. Oh, no, I wanted to ask you about Corey Fleming's sentence. It, to me, I had done a lot of looking, and I could not find any other attorney in our state with a similar offense who had received more time. No, you won't find that. And, you know, after, I know it seems crazy with my direct and um, kind of, I don't want to say obnoxious. I don't think I'm obnoxious, but I'm, I'm pointed. <laughs> I'm pointed. Uh, I'm a very direct personality. But I also have a very empathetic personality. So when I came home that night after watching it at my office, um, and I, you know, I go live on TikTok, and we started talking about it. And it was just at the pit of my stomach. I felt horrible for him. I felt horrible for his attorney. 
Um, and then my daughter popped in who's, you know, moved away from college and that like, that, that was the final straw. I just started like, I start crying right there on TikTok for everybody to see. Yeah. Um, and they were like, are you okay? And I'm like, well, my daughter just ruined everything. I was okay. I could have hold it. I could have held it in, but you know, yeah. she popped it up across the country, just did me in. But I literally could feel the pain and the gut wrenching for his attorney, for him. You know, this is a man that stood there broken already. He was, you could clearly tell he was already broken. You could clearly tell he was remorseful. You, when you plead guilty, are supposed to get something in return for pleading guilty. That's the way the system works, because you have saved the taxpayers' money and the government having to try the case against you. So we always know, look, you don't want the, you don't want the trial sentence, you want the plea sentence. And Judge Newman, in my opinion, did not give a plea sentence. And that was what I thought until yesterday, whenever we got to reevaluate what Judge Newman said when the actual written order came out. So I thought 20 years, good God, I've never seen anything like it. At 20 years, that's absolutely just disastrous for his life, for his family, for his mm-hmm. for his attorney. Sent her a message and said, I, I know that you must be reeling. I mean, it just was, it was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I looked up two people. So one of the things, and I've said this, I think I told you this map maybe off camera somewhere before, but... Sam Cruz, Sam Cruz is an attorney or was an attorney here in Columbia, South Carolina. And the reason that I know that is because his office was right next door to where mine was. And all of a sudden, one day he is no longer there. And it turned out that Sam Cruz had stolen uh, upwards of a million dollars from his clients and was disbarred. And I assume arrested because isn't that what happens? You get arrested, too, for stealing your client's money. Sure. So I thought that. But. As I'm writing, um, I downloaded the original part of the Netflix series and watched that as I was driving. Don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> on the way home from Spartanburg Parents Weekend last year. And lo and behold, in the middle of this Netflix special is Sam Cruz. And I'm like, I, mean, I looked, I paused it, and I looked closer to make sure. Yes, he's in there. So he is, if you look at, especially in episode three of the first season, he is now teaching at the school where Mallory and Buster and Stephen Smith went to school. So he's on there as, hey, yeah, I knew both what? You know, Stephen and Mallory. And I'm like, and it just says teacher, such and such high school, whatever high school it was. Oh, wow. And I, I'm like calling my friend going, hey, have you seen the Netflix special? Is that the same crew? I mean, it looks like the same Sam Cruz. Is that the same Sam Cruz <laughs> that stole over a million dollars from his client? And so I looked back. I found the order. Um, for when he was disbarred, it was 2010, he was disbarred. So you got to assume that he was um, either charged and convicted of something like say in 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. And okay. So in what well, he knew, I don't know the year Stephen Smith died, but was that 2018, 19? What was it? I think that was 2015. 2015. Yeah. Okay. So in 2015, this Sam Cruz was, uh, was teaching at the school and this happened in 2010. So at some point in there, he was, if he had, if he faced criminal charges, he was able to get them resolved enough to go teach at the high school hmm. and Hey, Netflix, you might want to vet your people a little bit better because this is about, wow. you know, you know, this is absolutely about someone who stole money from their clients and you have somebody who stole money from your clients in your chair right there. It was yeah. hilarious to me, but I, I could never find a sentence. You can't even go back and find where he was convicted of anything. Cause I did mm. go look for that. 
So I think he's had it expunged off his record now. Um, so he I made restitution, out, maybe, or something well, like that. He made, but if he was arrested, he made restitution, yeah. and it was to something that was not a felony. He was able to get it expunged off his record. But the other one that you have here that was local was Breibart, who yep. is out of Lexington County. He got five years, and he stole one point two million dollars. And Fleming was not even a million, was he? No. Six figures. No, I don't think so. And, yeah. and the thing about it, what I think is sad, I mean, it was less time than what I think people originally thought, but he's still he's still going to serve at least eight and a half years. He's right. in his 50s. He's going to probably miss his kids' weddings. He's going to miss. Yeah. Not to excuse what he did, but it just seems like a harsh sentence. But you think about it. If Bright Bright got five years, five year sentence, he didn't do five years. So what I think happened in this case, first of all, I know that Judge Newman is very familiar with the Murdoch case. I know Judge Newman is um, knew what he was doing with the sentence and knew that he wasn't giving him 20 years like we all thought. Because honestly, I was like, good Lord, Judge Newman, after 20, you know, 20 year sentence seems so crazy. But he knew what he was doing. We didn't know what he was doing. But at the same time, um, it, it just it still seems a little bit unfair in that I think what he did was he held Corey Fleming responsible for the injuries that happened in these accidents instead of the financial part of the accident. So Satterfield's accident was tragic and horrible and her kids lost their house as a result of it. Okay. You should be responsible for that because you stole money that could have paid for their house maybe. But Pinkney was, was just the most awful kind of accident. Mm -hmm. Corey Fleming took money, but Fleming was, you know, unfortunately died before Corey Fleming even touched his money before they even settled the case. But that is such a sad story. I think that there's, there could have been a little bit of crossover and confusion in the fact that Corey did not cause the injuries to these people. Corey took their money, but Corey did not cause the horrific accident that injured Mr. Pinkney. And his association with Alec Murdoch probably didn't help either. Yeah. Yeah, no. no question. I mean, obviously it didn't. That's, that's the thing. It was the combination of Murdoch, but, you know, we're there because of Murdoch. And then you have Justin Bamberg who's standing up and, and talking about how awful this accident is. And then Eric Bland standing up and talking about how the Satterfield killed, that lost their mother and their all of their money. So, yeah, I think that it just was, it was real easy to remember how horrible these accidents were and not necessarily focus completely on the fact this is a financial crime. Lori, always uh, cool to talk with you. You can check her out, Lawyer Lori, on TikTok. Um, and she's been a defense attorney for many, many years. Lori Murray, thanks uh, for hanging out. We'll talk soon, okay? Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. Right, thanks, bye. Thank you, Lori. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Off she goes, and we will get a lot of response to that. We sure will. <laughs> <laughs> but... Like we have said many, many times, we are we will talk to on all sides of this situation. We'll talk to anybody who uh, we think has knowledge and is smart about it. Yeah, I know Will Folks has said many times he has an open platform, and I think we are like-minded in that way. And we are off. We are always so, so grateful that you spend time with us. I'm sure you'll want to reach out. You can find us on Impact of Influence on Facebook. And Seton Tucker on the socials. I'm going to send them your way. No. <laughs> Don't reach out to me. Matt Harris podcast at gmail.com. I'll send it to her. All right. We'll talk soon, friends.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.